Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We're back after a brief hiatus, and we've got a lot to talk about. The season is getting closer and closer to reality. And the first piece of that is the full schedule. We have every single game. We have every single location. We have most of the tip times, and we have most of the TV designations. Finally, we've waited long enough. A couple notable games just to point out. So we don't have to go through the entire thing. UConn's going to play one open door exhibition at Gamble Pavilion against Fort Hayes State on November 7th. Gino also said they're going to play a closed door exhibition. He couldn't discuss the specifics. He said he'll be able to talk about it afterwards. It's going to be sometime before that November 7th scrimmage against Fort Hayes State. They're going to open the regular season at the Excel Center, which is a little weird, against Arkansas on November 14th. That's going to be on SNY. They'll play seven games on campus and seven games at the Excel Center, a nice even split as we usually get. Some notable games at Gamble are, are Notre Dame, Seton Hall, DePaul. At the Excel Center, UConn's going to play Arkansas, Tennessee, and Marquette. It sounds like fans are going to be allowed back for the entire, at least for the start of the season, in a full capacity. Face coverings are going to be required at both arenas, regardless of vaccination status, unless actively eating or drinking. I feel like it. It's worth mentioning, though, that for the two hockey games that we've had at the XL Center, there has been negative mask enforcement. There's not even anyone pretending to enforce that. So we'll see if that carries over into basketball season. I feel like it might just be honestly difficult to try and enforce 10,000 people wearing a mask. We'll see how that one goes. There's going to be 31 games total. 18 of them are going to be on SNY. As we've come to expect, three are going to be on the ESPN networks. Two are going to be on Fox, the network Fox. Two are on CBS Sports. One's on FS1, and one will be on ABC. Big East Tournament's going to be on FS1 and FS2, as it was last season. Those are the big points. Megan, do you have any reactions to the full schedule? Well, I think it's really weird that they don't open at Campbell. I feel like that was like the first thing that jumped out at me when I started going through it. I don't like... Have they ever not opened at Gamble? I don't know that that's like, it hasn't happened in my memory, at least. I think they pretty much always open at Gamble. So it feels a little weird that they wait till December to play a game at Gamble. Right. And also they only play a single game at Gamble. I'm not counting the exhibition in 2021. I think there's Notre Dame and then their next game at Gamble Pavilion, I believe is January 9th. Going to go through two full months of the season and get one, two, depending on where you cut it off at Gamble Pavilion. So that's going to be very weird. It is a very split schedule. They play three times at home in 2021, but then at the end of the season, I believe it is eight of their last 11 or 10 games are going to be at home. So a very home heavy finish, but yeah, we're not going to see the UConn in person a whole lot in the first half of the schedule. So that's, that's just going to be weird. I feel like this happened a couple of years ago when, almost all their non-conference games were on the road too. Yeah, that part's definitely weird. I think the other thing that jumps out to me is they start Big East play pretty early because they have that kind of Seton Hall game that jumps in at the beginning part of the schedule. December 3rd is their fifth official game, so it's pretty early on probably to make room for those non-conference games that they have later on in the schedule. But not your, like, I mean, I don't think UConn's going to have any problem with them, but still not your, like, you know, easiest, biggest opponent. And that's, that's a pretty early game in the schedule. So that one's kind of one to circle, I think as well, because I do think with, you know, seeing Hall bring back a lot of what they had last year, they're probably going to be a pretty solid team, at least like a tournament team this season. So that's pretty early on for them as well in terms of conference play. Right. And Seton Hall is just one of those teams that's going to be difficult to beat. We saw what happened to UConn two years ago when Aubrey Griffin needed to rescue them down in South Orange. Even last year, it was the game at Seton Hall, yeah, that they couldn't stop Lauren Park Lane. And then obviously the return game at home was a lot easier for UConn, but still tough team to play. I looked it up and they play, they open the season at the XL Center, not a fair amount, but more than you would expect. The last time they did it was in 2015 and 16. They had their first two games at the XL Center. I also remember Stewie's freshman year, which would be 2012, 2013. They opened the year with Hartford at in Hartford. So it's not 
every year, but it's just, it really feels like it's almost always at Gamble and it just feels more natural for it to be at Gamble too. Yeah. And maybe it feels a little weird too, because like, you know, fans went last year. So it feels a little bit weird to have like this big return of fans be in Hartford versus in Gamble. I don't know. Yeah. And also just a couple of the rotations are weird because previously in their Notre Dame series, it would bounce back and forth between the XL center and Gamble. So the last time they played Notre Dame, that was at Gamble. The time prior to that, that was at XL. The time prior to that was at Gamble. So I kind of figured this one was going to bounce to XL. And then I thought the same thing was going to happen with Tennessee, where Tennessee was going to be at XL or was at XL two years ago now, three years ago, whenever they renewed that series. And I thought that was going to be at Gamble this year. I'm surprised that they didn't just flip one of those or they didn't flip Notre Dame to the XL center so that they could have Arkansas at home, because that seems like something that you can control pretty easily unless the XL center just wasn't available when UConn was trying to play Notre Dame there. I don't know, but that is weird. Especially every game was at Gamble last year. That's something that still kind of feels weird to go from every single game being at Gamble and then getting fans back and having it be at XL. It's just going to be off. Yeah, I wonder if part of it is like a ticket sales thing. Like they know that that first game back is going to be a big draw. So you can fit more people at Excel. And I'm actually not really surprised to see Tennessee at Excel just because I think that's the best home game by far on the schedule. So might as well have it where you can have a few more fans. Oh, 100%. It makes sense why Tennessee's at Excel. I just thought it was going to go. I just thought they were going to stick to the script that they kind of do with their big non-conference opponents. But yeah, I imagine that Tennessee is going to be at XL for the foreseeable future, as long as the series continues, which it seems like it will. It'll be interesting to see if that Tennessee series continues to have kind of the hype around it and the excitement, because obviously we've talked about a lot, how it's not what it used to be and it never will. I still think that there's buzz around it, but if Tennessee just remains like a fringe top 25 team, maybe bumps up to a top 15 team, are they really gonna hold on to this attention long enough is the history really going to keep it going that's just a question mark that i have it's probably going to take a few years to really get a good answer but at least this year i think just because it is a pretty good non-conference game regardless of who regardless of the history i think it'll do pretty well but i don't know i i just wonder how long the history is going to be able to sustain that if tennessee doesn't return to being a national power yeah, I kind of agree with that. But I think even this year, it is probably like one of my like top four games that I've got get circled on their schedule just because, well, I do feel like they're not conference slate as much as it is really good. It's still like there's not as many ones that I'm highlighting this year. And then also because of their size. And I think that's going to be a big question for this team going into the season is, you know, how does their kind of front courts stack up against some of these other teams? So I think that's going to be a good thing to watch in that Tennessee game. I think just speaking of the non-conference schedule, one thing that was kind of speculated or maybe brought up by someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it is. My apologies to that person, but you thought that, or they thought that maybe the big East would stack the schedule so that UConn would play like Xavier or Creighton before then flying out to Oregon so that they only had to make half the trip at a time. Nope. UConn is going straight out to Oregon and straight back. They play home against Xavier on January 15th. Then they're pretty much, the next day you're going to have to fly out to Oregon for a Monday, January 17th matchup MLK day in Eugene. And then they have the rest of the week for the most part to come back, play Seton hall. That's just going to be a tough part of the schedule. That's a long trip. Even if you are on a charter flight, that's not going to be easy. So going cross country back and forth, that's the only part of the schedule where I think travel is going to be any sort of a concern. Yeah, I think that's fair. I feel like the Oregon game also just kind of starts a bit of a gauntlet for them for like three weeks. They've got Oregon, South Carolina, and Tennessee all within three weeks, but I think like five or six Big East games mixed in there as well. So that's going to be just a lot of games in three weeks and also three really tough games in three weeks. So I feel like in one way, it's kind of a lot at once, but also you're not going to get that like kind of boring rotation of like it's all Big East and Pokemon that they're killing by 30 points back to back to back for all of January and February. There's really like kind of three weeks between the end of January, start of February there that are going to be really interesting to see kind of what they put together. 
is it me or does the schedule seem really congested or yeah. was it just that last year had pauses and breaks and games getting canceled left and right that seeing a normal schedule again feels weird that might be it because like you just sort of crossing things out and moving things all the time last year but it does feel like there's a lot going on especially I don't know I feel like they're kind of bouncing back and forth a lot too I also feel like November and December are very light and then January and February it's just like game after game after game after game which maybe they're doing that intentionally there's more breaks in that kind of early part of the season but when you get to kind of January February it's it feels very congested yeah especially late in the season I don't know what it is with that like mid to late February timeline coming towards the end of the season there's a stretch I think it's starting in February it is two days between games it goes two days two days three days two days two days five days two days five days two days so that early part of February is going to be game after game after game luckily there's not a whole lot of travel involved but I mean there's some I mean not great opponents but relative to the Big East you have Tennessee obviously in there on a Sunday then immediately after you play Villanova who has Maddie Segrist which isn't nothing DePaul obviously as our coworker Dan Madigan will say on this podcast at some point, the automatic trap game for UConn. Then you go out to Marquette, who, again, just one of those Big East teams that's better than everyone else. Not an easy game to just blow out. So you have a very tight schedule and at least opponents with a pulse, unlike pretty much everyone in the AAC. So there's just some tricky parts of the schedule that if this was a normal team we were talking about, I'd be saying, okay, maybe they drop an easy one in there because it's UConn. I'd still be surprised if they lose anything, but I think it's just going to be something to monitor with availability, how the minutes get distributed, who stays healthy, who might have some nagging injuries in there, all those sorts of things as you approach the postseason. For sure. Cause I think you just talked about like three tournament teams there. If I'm like looking at the field right now, I'm probably putting Marquette, DePaul, Seton Hall, and Villanova in there for the Big East. So, I mean, that's just worlds ahead of the AAC already. So you're looking at kind of tournament opponents. So yeah, you can might not lose those games, but they're quality opponents and games that like, if you're totally off, you can lose. So um, it's, it's going to be a long stretch of games there. I feel like in February. Also looking at the schedule, I feel like it's a very good travel schedule for fans because the games that are at least in close proximity are all pretty easy to get to. Seton Hall's a Friday night. The Never Forget Classic in Newark is a Saturday. St. John's is a Sunday. Providence is a Sunday. Those are all pretty reasonable drives or trains, depending on how you want to do it. So it's nice that those are at least on weekends so that you can get to it if you want. You're not necessarily trying to, I guess the Friday isn't as doable considering New York traffic at all hours. But for the most part, it seems like it's not like these are Tuesday nights that you're going to be playing on where it's more or less pushing it to try and get down and back in a day. You can definitely do that on a Sunday pretty easily. Yeah, actually, that jumped out at me from like a home game perspective, too, because outside of like the week of like Christmas, New Year's, I think they have one women's basketball or one game at home that's like in the middle of the week a Wednesday and then everything else is a Friday Saturday Sunday game for home games too which I think just like for people with work and stuff makes it a lot easier to get there as well so that was good to see counterpoint those Friday games make my life much more difficult because there are a lot of hockey conflicts in there February you are going to be our dedicated beat writer on Friday night women's basketball games because I have a hockey conflict on pretty much every single one of those. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I was looking at it like, oh, wow. Like, even if I'm really busy at work, like, logging off at five on Friday is doable. I won't have to miss any games. I can actually probably go to almost everything. (laughs) (laughs) The things we look at immediately on the schedule that have nothing to do with the actual schedule. (laughs) I was like, can I make it to almost all of these games? (laughs) Uh, it's going to be, I, I hope that fans stay because going to two hockey games with people there and obviously the masks make it a little different, but oh, it just feels so much like the old days, like normal times, going to a game, watching it in person, having crowd reactions. It is just so much better than these weird empty arenas or watching everything through the TV way better. And I just really hope it sticks like that throughout the entire season. Yeah, I agree. I'm really looking forward to one, one just being back in an arena because I didn't really go to anything last year, but two, to just 
yeah seeing fans I've already have I feel like I have some away games for other big teams like circled on my calendar that I'm gonna try to make it out to too so I'm just looking forward to being back in full arenas speaking of being back the season is officially underway we got to talk to the players in person not all the players Gino and a handful of players for the first time since the summer the preseason has officially started I think the quote of the day was Avina saying how the coaches told them that the practices are going to be like nothing they have ever experienced before. It's going to be a bloodbath day in and day out. Then we asked Gino. I just say that they're scared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good point. <laughs> yeah, it still works. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, Which is pretty great. Classic Gino. Great way to start off the new year back in person. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I think the big thing that we could take away from this availability. The question I get every single time I put a mailbag request out to our premium subscribers on the weekly, what is this rotation going to look like? We don't know the answer to that, but we at least know what it might look like, which is what matters. So Gino admitted that not every single player is going to be playing double figures. Obviously, I think he even said 12 players aren't going to play double figures. It really feels like there are 10 players in consideration to get pretty significant minutes, but he said he only, he didn't say outright, but he just kind of hinted that he thinks it's going to be eight or nine in the rotation, getting double digit minutes every single night. So if we take him at his word, let's just use nine because that's the higher number. And it's a lot easier to figure out than eight (laughs) of this group. Who do you take out that you don't think are going to play substantial minutes? It's, Olivia Nelson Adota, Avina Westbrook, Kristen Williams, Dorka Juhas, Aubrey Griffin, Paige Beckers, Aaliyah Edwards, Nika Mule, AZ Fudd, and Caroline Ducharm. Either <laughs> past production or what Gino or someone else has said about them indicates that they're definitely going to be playing, but I just don't know who to take out of that equation. I know a lot of people say that Olivia Nelson Adota is going to lose her minutes. This is a hill I will absolutely be dying on this season. Olivia Nelson Adota is going to have a really good year, and she is not going to lose her starting job. If I'm wrong, feel free to call me out on that. I'm just laying that out right now. Obviously, Avina Westbrook, Kristen Williams, Paige Beckers, those three aren't going anywhere. Dorka Juhas, Gino said that he thinks that Dorka could be the one that pretty much puts them over the top this season. Kristen Williams says she can do a lot of different things and can help change the offense. Aliyah Edwards, I don't really think we need to go into too much detail on that one. Nika Mule, one of those players who's definitely a lot better than her stats. Really good, just kind of role player that the team is better when she's on the floor or when she's playing a good amount. Aubrey Griffin, inconsistent, but capable of sometimes being the best player on the floor. So like, do you really want to take her off all the time? AZ FUD, AZ FUD's going to play a lot. I'm not buying anything that Gino says that tries to knock down expectations for her. AZ FUD's not going to have a page backers year. She's still going to have a really good freshman year. And everything we've heard about Caroline Ducharm indicates that she's going to have some sort of important role this season, that she's been looking good in practice. The little... I don't know. I think it was like 30 minutes that we got to watch practice. I remember there was one sequence. I don't know if it was designed for her or not, but they were kind of going up and down the floor. So one way down the floor, she gets a three-pointer, shoots, makes it, comes down the other way, drives through contact, puts the layup in. They come down the other way again. She gets the ball. I think faked out the practice player, drove to the rim, and then accidentally got blocked by the rim, but she still got there, made a really nice play. Really good sequence from her. So if she's as good as people are advertising her to be, how do you take her out? That's just a very long-winded way of saying, I don't know who out of those 10 players is going to fit into the eight or nine players playing double-digit minutes in the rotation that Gino talked about. Yeah, I don't know either. I just like, I don't know who you take out. <laughs> I agree with you that it's not Olivia Nelson Madota because I think people are, yeah, I don't really understand where that comes from, to be honest. Like, I get that she had a couple of rough games last year, but everyone has a couple of rough games. And for the most part, she holds, holds her own. And there's, there, I also just don't see that anyone is like on the team as being a, like a true center to take her spot. I feel like Dorka and Olia um, Edwards both kind of fit a little bit more into that four spot. I, I just don't see anyone really taking the spot in the rotation. Obviously they're going to rotate out and not always have her at the five, but 
I just really don't see that happening. Yeah, see, as a live apologist here, I understand where it comes from. I just think it's a little extreme. Like, people act like she sucks all the time. Her bad games have been really bad, and they've cost UConn wins. I mean, uh, Arkansas game, I'm not going to put all the blame of the Arizona game on her shoulders. I think there are that was an overall team failure, but it didn't help that she played pretty poorly in that. But yeah, I don't think she got enough credit for the way that she played against Iowa, the way that she played against Baylor, just the way that she played in a lot of games a season. Even if, yeah, she performs the best against bad teams, she's still performing against bad teams. You'd rather have her doing that than not performing well at all. And we didn't really see it a ton last year. I don't know if it was the way UConn's defense operated, if just people didn't get to the rim as much, but she's a really, really good shot blocker. So if UConn's defense is built to someone needing to protect the rim, Olivia Nelson Adota is really your main option there. And as we saw last year, Olivia Nelson Adota and Aaliyah Edwards can play together perfectly fine. Aaliyah Edwards isn't going to have, as you mentioned, that same impact. And I think Dorka, it really feels like she's going to be more of a change of pace to Olivia Nelson Adota, a different type of look for defenses rather than taking Olivia Nelson Adota's spot. I don't think Gino would be saying that she's the one that takes them to the next level. If he expected her to come in and just take Liv's spot, I think that would just kind of be changing the team more than taking it to the next level. So it seems like she's going to augment the rotation more so than taking minutes away. And I mean, yeah, Liv might lose minutes just because there's more players, but I don't think that's going to be necessarily a product of her of her play. And even if she is having a bad game, then you do have Dorka there. You do have Aaliyah Edwards to fill in and maybe take the load off her. But Olivia Nelson Dota isn't going to be losing time. She's Gino said she's gotten a lot better. I don't always really trust Gino when he says that players got better because he said Aubrey Griffin was a hundred times better last year and <laughs> she was better, but she was not a hundred times better. So I always kind of take what he says in that regard with a bit of a grain of salt, but yeah, it's, a lot of questions and I know preseason only just began. So we don't even have close to the answers, but I still don't really know how this can work itself out. If everyone is how we expect them to be. Also, we're completely leaving out any potential jumps from Mir McLean. I mean, Mir McLean had some really good moments as a freshman, even though her playing time faded at the end of last season, sailor Poffenbarger I've written and said a million times, I'm not even paying attention to what she did last season as an early enrollee. So in my mind, she has pretty much a completely blank slate. I don't know if she's going to contribute at all. Maybe, maybe she comes out of nowhere and surprises and is a really good three point shooter. I, I simply don't know with sailor Poffenbarger, maybe Amari DeBerry, it, something clicks in her head during the preseason and she starts coming alive. Maybe the same thing happens with PF Gabriel. We're not even talking about those four players who I think we've already kind of written off for some good reason. And just for others, because it's a little bit of a tough climb up the depth chart, but there's a lot of numbers here. And I think it could just be something that changes throughout the season. Maybe Caroline Ducharm's a big part of the season early on and then fades as she plays a lot of games and maybe hits a freshman wall or maybe she's slow at the start of the year and then really picks it up at the end of the year, similar to Nika Mule last year, or Aaliyah Edwards. I don't know, but it's going to be really interesting either way. Yeah, exactly. I think, I feel like it's going to change throughout the season probably too, because they're still like, the team is still so young other than, you know, I mean, they have a, a, small, a larger group of upperclassmen this season, but there's still a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores. So I could see things kind of changing throughout too, like, especially in the backcourt, because I feel like that's where there's the most congestion. Like maybe Nika gets more time kind of off the start, but then AZ will take more time or Caroline takes more time kind of going forward. And we, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how it changes throughout the season as well. Someone that I'm including myself in this category, I think we've kind of overlooked in terms of having a bigger impact than last year is Avina because she had a very, very interesting quote on Friday that last year she didn't have a ton of confidence mentally in her knee. She wasn't sure that if she went up for a shot that it wasn't going to give out when she, when it, when she came down and she said, that's gone. She's fully confident in her knee. And I remember a big talking point for us going into last year was, is Avina actually healthy? So I'm wondering if Avina was healthy physically, but that was really limiting her in the preseason. So 
I just kind of thought we were going to get the same thing out of Avina Westbrook as last year, where she's going to score a little bit. She's going to shoot a little bit. She's going to rebound a little bit. She's going to defend a little bit. She's just going to do a lot of things, whatever the team needs. I, I don't even know if we can call her a breakout player, but she might be a sneaky breakout player. She might be a breakout breakout player. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think someone like her just has a lot of potential because she can do so many different things on the floor. And we've seen that last year. So if you start doing all of those things kind of well at once, all of a sudden you're one of the best players. Well, I mean, she's already one of the best players on the team. So I don't really know what to category to put in, but yeah, I agree. I think we could see more from her this year. I feel like there's been some promising stuff from like her summer when she played at Pro-Am and things like that. Um, I think she was like a leading the her team in like assists in some of those games in the program too, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see what we get from her. Yeah, she had a really funny quote about playing in the pro-am league. She like didn't even try and hide it. She was like, Yeah, women are so much better at playing the game of basketball. The men just want to <laughs> show off and go one-on-one. So I make an open pass and they're like, Oh my god, how did you do that? Mind blown. And she was like, I- I'm literally just playing basketball. Obviously, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing there, but that's more or less what she was saying. It was really funny. So yeah, that doesn't even remotely surprise me. I mean, when you're playing with a bunch of NBA players. Last I checked, I think the NBA banned passing, so not, <laughs> not all that surprising. Also, someone that I wrote about in the weekly premium last week did a very deep dive on her. I can't figure out Aubrey Griffin. I have spent so much time trying to figure out what Aubrey Griffin is going to look like this year. And I think I've come to the conclusion that she's either going to be more or less what she's been the first two years, which is someone capable of doing amazing things, but is mostly pretty inconsistent or she's going to just be a monster this year. I I just can't imagine her taking a half step forward because I think with the type of player she is, it's either going to be, she doesn't take the step forward or she does. I I just, maybe I'm wrong and she improves enough where her numbers are better and she's an overall better player. Even if she's not reaching that huge potential that she has just yet. I, I don't know. I just sense that once it clicks for her, it's really going to click and she's going to be an absolute terror for everyone in the country. I'm just not all that confident that's that it's going to come this year, especially with how much depth and talent they have. Yeah, I'm still very high on like what Aubrey Griffin could be for this team, but I could see it being more of a like not this season, but next season type thing, just because there's so much depth that I think getting those minutes on this team is going to be hard. But I do know like she was dealing with all those like nagging injuries that we kind of like heard about on and off last season and stuff. So I do wonder if that kind of like held her back last season and if we're going to see kind of more of a step forward this year and then I wouldn't be surprised to see her like make a really big step when she gets to her kind of senior season and there's a little bit more room well I don't know that there's more room because there's still a lot of really good players on this team but there will be a spec more room in the rotation for her to kind of really make an impact I think when we talked about her last year we were talking about how she could be like kind of like a defensive player of the year type of player and I still see that like maybe not this year but next year for her Yeah. And I I really don't think the route to her being a much better player is all that difficult. I mean, for two years, most of her scoring has come off offensive rebounds, which is great. That's not a bad thing by any means. The fact that she's getting that many offensive rebounds is good. And she had way more opportunity as a freshman compared to her sophomore year. I mean, when you add in the fact that Aliyah Edwards was there, even Mir McLean was eating into some minutes and some just production earlier in the year. UConn missed way fewer shots this past year and took way fewer shots this past year. So there were less rebounding opportunities for her. I think that also kind of plays a factor. And I also went back and looked at some comparable players. I'm not saying that Aubrey Griffin will be any of these players, but Gabby Williams, Swin Cash, and Asia Jones all fit a very similar profile. They're all roughly the same height. Gabby Williams was 5'11", Swin Cash was six feet flat, Aubrey Griffin 6'1", Asia Jones was 6'2", and they all played forward, even though I know that's not the best metric of what a player does. All four players had a decent freshman year, and there wasn't any substantial improvement across the board as a sophomore. Some of them got better in some categories. They got worse in some categories. There was really no trend for the most part. But consistently, the three players, Williams, Jones, and Cash, all improved pretty much everywhere across their sophomore to junior year. Again, some more than others. I mean, Gabby Williams, it's really, really funny to look at some of her improvements. She had 51 assists as a sophomore. She had 190 as a junior. Same thing (laughs) with points. She had 336 as a freshman, 
528 as a soft or as a or sophomore and junior. Obviously, a much different scenario than Aubrey Griffin's in than pretty much every other player was in because Brianna Stewart, Morgan Tuck, Mariah Jefferson graduated. Team counted on her a lot more. So obviously that was different. But even Asia Jones and Swin Cash, they made improvements, some larger than others, but still pretty much statistical improvement across the board. That's something that I think we could see from Aubrey Griffin. Maybe it's not going to be all that apparent in her game, but I, I think she'll at least be a better player this year. I don't think we can discount the fact that there was no or there's there was no summer last year. She didn't have that opportunity to work with coaches, to work with teammates. As much as you could play pickup with your brothers and get bigger and tougher and stronger and all those sorts of things, if you're doing something wrong with your shot or if you're not defending the right way or if you're just making a very subtle mistake with your footwork, no one in that scenario is going to correct you. But if Gino or CD or Jamel Elliott or Shea Ralph slash now Morgan Valley are watching you, they can say, Aubrey, do this instead or tweak this, or you need to be doing this better. She didn't have that coaching last summer. And I know they had a long preseason, but I, I, I just think that that lack of development last year and that lack of summer workouts, all that, if that's going to affect anyone the most, I think it's Aubrey Griffin. So I could see her really, really emerging after a full normal off season with the program. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think we kind of saw that across the board with the lack of summer last year. Like, I think you saw it in a lot of the players at UConn, but also just like across the country that there weren't necessarily these like big jumps that you kind of typically anticipate between like a a freshman that performs really well and then making an even bigger leap in sophomore year. And I don't think we saw that as much last year. And I feel like the lack of summer workouts and things like that probably played in also just like the way that last season was kind of all jumbled and not really consistent with games and things like that too. But I think a lot of that played into what we saw last year. So I think it's going to be interesting now that we're kind of back to a more hopefully normal season, but also they had normal summer workouts, all that kind of stuff this year to see, you know, do we get back to that kind of normal things that we expect in development over the summer across the board, not just at UConn, but everywhere else too. Yeah. Cause I remember having that thought at the beginning of last season, not just with the women, but with the men's team too, at UConn, I didn't really feel like anyone on that team was substantially better than they were the year prior. And especially like Kristen and Liv, they both finished the 2020 season fairly well. And I was expecting a big leap out of them as you would in a standard off season from sophomore to junior year. And then they came back and it really felt like they were in the exact same point that they ended their sophomore seasons, which again, not really their fault, but that was just, that really felt like it kind of got brushed over. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether or not that holds up this year, because if Aubrey Griffin comes back and still kind of looks like the same player, then maybe that lack of development didn't actually do anything. And we're talking about a different issue, but if she's suddenly able to knock down shots from three, or she's suddenly a much better one-on-one defender, some aspect of her game or her game overall has improved pretty substantially, then I think we might start talking about, wow, where would Aubrey Griffin be right now if the pandemic didn't hit and she had two normal off seasons, would she be where she would, she is now last summer or something like that, or midway through last year and how different does last year go? But yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. I think kind of across the board too. I think, you know, Kristen will live too. like other players that we saw that didn't make that big jump. The like non-UConn example that stands out to me is Aaliyah Boston at South Carolina. Like she had such a good freshman season and then it felt she, she was kind of at the same level, maybe even a little below it, but I think that was more just like, I don't, I don't feel like their rotation didn't really understand how to get her the ball sometimes last year, but she didn't really feel like after a really good sophomore or freshman season, she didn't really make that big sophomore jump. But I wonder if we're going to see a much better like Aaliyah Boston this year, now that she had that summer development. Probably also just the pressure of having to, to uh, <laughs> defend their totally 100% real <laughs> national championship. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm trying to carry a team from their you know, being like the face of the team as a sophomore, but okay. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So very excited for that first exhibition against Fort Hayes state. Those exhibitions are always so boring, but at the same time, so helpful because those are going to be the games where we see more sailor Poffenbarger and PF Gabriel and even Nika mule and maybe some situations that we wouldn't see her normally in the regular season or 
just in some groups that we wouldn't see during the regular season, because some of those players, I'm not throwing Nika into like a garbage time group, but a lot of times we don't see the deep, deep reserves until the end of the fourth quarter when neither team's really trying that hard. So the exhibitions are always just interesting. It sucks. There's only one for this reason to see different groups mixed and matched together and how different players play together. And also just the first chance to see some freshmen. So obviously it's a little ways away, but it will be exciting to finally get that first exhibition game. It's not that far away. It's less than a month. Pretty close. Yeah. Someone texted me yesterday. I forget what it was specifically, but they mentioned October and it like hit me way harder than it should have on we're recording on October 13th, but it was October 12th yesterday when I got the text hit me way harder than it should have like, wow, it's October. Like, yeah, it had been October for 12 days, but I still wasn't fully prepared for it being October. Yeah, we're like already halfway through the month. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about something that happened like at the end of September. And I was like, wasn't that a week ago? (laughs) Like, there's no way that was two or three weeks ago at this point. (laughs) This month is going very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. I don't know, also slowly though. I don't know. I feel like the end of September feels like five weeks ago to me but that's probably because I was on vacation and now I'm back at work so I'm just like (laughs) yeah yeah no August flew very quickly for me as someone who went on vacation in August so I I I understand that it's not quite an exhibition let's be honest it's really not quite (laughs) anything (laughs) (laughs) I I have a lot of strong feelings about this first night is this Friday I guess you could get excited for it well it's so I feel like there could have been some excitement around like allowing people back in Gamble and things like that, like just being able to be in Gamble and like see the team in person. But being at students only, I feel like you take away that piece too from like a fan perspective. So, well, it's great for students. I'm glad that they get to go and do that. But from a like adult fan perspective or families and things like that, like, you don't get to be in person. So I feel like that takes away a lot of the fun of first night. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand why it's only students. It's not like first night sells out Gamble and it's completely full. Like at best, it's probably 75% full. I feel like you could spread people out if you need to. Uh, There's been normal capacity indoors for a while now. I don't understand why this is randomly limited, especially if they're planning to have full capacity for games. Yeah, I feel like it's a little strange too. I wonder if part of it is just like allowing as many students as they like want to go to go because I mean, I feel bad for college kids right now. They've been deprived of pretty much everything that's part of the normal college experience. So while it usually isn't like totally full of college students on a Friday night, I could see it being pretty packed of college students this Friday just because they haven't had a chance to like go to any real basketball things in person yet. Granted, you also have the homecoming game early Saturday, so I don't know how many people will actually be turning out. I mean, it's probably, now that we know, a good thing that not everyone's going to go because campus is going to be nothing short of just a traffic nightmare on Friday. If you don't know, the president is coming to UConn for know the Dodd Center or something. I really don't understand fully. They're already doing like exercises to get ready for that. Like one of my friends who's on campus said that there's been like secret service, like surveying the campus. They flew in like five helicopters to the parking lot above McMahon. Everything is going to be chaotic on Friday. So getting in is going to be hard enough just on my own. Luckily, if it's all students, there's not going to be a ton of traffic coming for first night. If you had a normal event, like not even a basketball game, but just a normal first night. I, I just shudder at the thought of how terrible <laughs> that could be. Oh my God, that would be a nightmare city. UConn is not exactly well-designed for like a lot of traffic. So. <laughs> yeah, no, UConn is a lot of things. Driver-friendly, I wouldn't say is one of them. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm very concerned about having to get to campus on Friday. Like I seriously might just go for the entire day, work the entire day on campus, not even have to deal with it. Yeah, I feel like that's a move. Go to Dogland, it's free coffee refills. <laughs> You're very caffeinated by the time you talk to Gino. <laughs> I was more like a dairy bar. Yeah. <laughs> partially, partially for ice cream, mostly because parking is free and I can sit outside and not have to wear a mask, which is always nice. Oh yeah, that is true. I didn't even think about that. Like, where do you park all day if you're going there? Because the parking is insane. I like I have so many pet peeves with like Yukon parking and especially the parking enforcement. <laughs> yes. I love most things about Yukon. Parking services is not on that list. Yeah. 
absolutely not. <laughs> I don't see the funny thing with parking services is I don't think there's a single person who's ever either been to Yukon a substantial amount or gone to Yukon that doesn't have some beef with parking services and every single one of them is legitimate. Every yep. single one. <laughs> it's incredible. I somehow managed to like not ever get a ticket in the four years that I was on campus, but then got one coming back for like some alumni event that I was like speaking at like one year out of school. <laughs> and I parked like, you know how behind Gample and that like lot behind the rec center, like it's always at least used to be like free. Um, like after they stopped checking at like 5 p.m., 6 p.m., whatever time it is, like that things like are so yeah. maybe it's seven. I don't know. They switch off, but they stop enforcing the permit areas. I'm parked in that area. There was like no sign that said that there was anything different than being like your normal cutoff of permit <laughs> area time. I came back to a ticket on my car. I had to talk to like seven different people at parking services to like not have to pay it. I was like, I'm not paying this ticket. You kind of have so much of my money that you're not getting money for something that was not labeled. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, one of my friends got like a $50 ticket. Normally they're $35. She got a $50 ticket for, it was something ridiculous, not parking in a parking space but for a little while that parking lot behind gamble was just dirt yeah <laughs> so there were no parking spaces so she got like a 50 dollars ticket for something that was like parking on the grass or like not being in a spot when there were no spots it's like i i don't what are you talking about and it was again a lot that was a nine to five or a seven to five or something where they shouldn't have even have been checking to begin with, but it's parking services. So whenever you think that you're in the clear, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I think the only time I almost got a ticket during undergrad, I was I worked at the admissions office like during undergrad, and I was parked in like the admissions lot on a weekend, like because I, I think I was like working or studying in the building, whatever. And I like came out and <laughs> like I was like trying to write me a ticket because I was parked in like the admission officer spot, and I was like, I work here, like. <laughs> is made for us first of all second of all like it's the weekend no other admissions officer is coming and like parking in the spot right it's one of those things where it's like okay if the admissions officer had an issue <laughs> then maybe they could call someone and yeah. then you could show up and write a ticket but no it's just like they have the sense <laughs> not even like a tracker or anything just a sixth sense of it's like someone's parking where they shouldn't i need <laughs> yeah. to go write them a ticket Yep, I remember being like, would you like to see my like keys to the building? I can park it. Or which the fact that they gave us all keys to the admissions office is kind of wild, but anyway. Yeah, one of those things that you don't really think about until you're out of college and it's like, wow, yeah. the power I could have had. <laughs> yep, like we all had keys. We're allowed to be there at any hour of the day or night that we wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, we ran like the like shadowing programs in the open houses. So it was like what I did. Nice. I think I signed up like my freshman year at the involvement fair to be one of those like <laughs> people who could have someone shadow them. But yeah. then I had to go to a meeting at like 730 <laughs> and I lived in yep. towers. So I would have had to walk across campus. And I was like, ah, is this really worth it? Probably <laughs> not. Yeah. So I was one of the people that like ran that program. My uh, job in college was the blog. Still here. <laughs> Still around. Still mostly doing the same thing. It's been like a year since anyone's asked me if I'm still around, if I'm still like a student though. So I think I've at least gotten past that phase. Yeah, there you go. It's a win or not a win, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> when I was a freshman, everybody thought I was a junior because Sean McGrath, uh, one of our coworkers at the blog, was a junior. So we did a lot together and we'd like go to events together. So everyone knew he was a junior. So they just kind of assumed I was a junior. So then it got to like my sophomore year and people were like, oh, how are you excited for uh, senior year? And I'm like, I'm, I'm a sophomore. <laughs> and then I got to my junior year and people were like, dude, is this like your fifth year here? And I'm like, I I'm a junior. So by the time I got my first two years, everyone thought I was a junior because as a sophomore, people were like, okay, well, you're definitely not a freshman anymore. And I, I feel like you've been around too long to be a sophomore. So you're a junior. So my first two years, I was a junior. By the time I was a junior, everyone thought I was a senior. And then by the time I was a senior, everyone was confused about how I was still around. They thought I was in like my sixth or seventh year. And I'm like, no, nope, this is my normal senior year. 
<laughs> so I think we've finally gotten through all of that. Now I'm just washed up. <laughs> yeah, wait till it's been over five years since you graduated, then you'll be really washed up. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I I also already hate how different the campus is than when I graduated, and I graduated a year and a half ago. There's a rotary on campus. What? Yes, right where the Spirit Rock used to be. They moved the Spirit Rock. I have absolutely no idea where it got moved. Out uh, next to North Garage, that intersection where Jorgensen is too, or right near Jorgensen. Yeah, there's a rotary there now. I don't like that. I never come in that way because I hate that road anyway, but like, I still don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. I was very shook the first time I saw that. Yeah, campus always look, already looks very, very dramatically different than when I graduated. Like that gym, I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. So. Yeah, I mean, even I only had that my senior year. That thing was just a dirt hole for like four years, and then the entire building went up in like a year. I don't understand. Construction makes no sense to me. <laughs> so first night's on Friday. It shows you about how excited we are for first night. It'll be seeing the team in uniform with fans there. Things will happen. I, I guess that's stuff to look forward to. Yeah. So do they say they're doing, it's like two separate scrimmages, like the men are scrimmaging and then the women are scrimmaging or something. I actually haven't looked all that closely. I think I honestly like that more than what, no, yeah, it's separate scrimmages by the men's and women's team. I think I kind of like that better than the mixed scrimmages because at least you get a better sense of what everybody looks like. I feel like. I feel like they should just let the men and women play against each other. That's what everyone actually wants to watch. But (laughs) that's true. Yeah. Honestly, just let the uh, men's practice squad play against both teams. (laughs) Like the the men's, like the women's basketball teams practice squad. Let them play against both teams because. The women, I have no idea how competitive it would actually be, but the men would just absolutely kill them and it would be like a dunk contest, which would be very fun. So there, I fixed first night. <laughs> yeah, I okay. don't know. I would like them to see the men would play against each other because I feel like, yes, the men would dunk a lot and fail to do that. But then like Paige Beckers would probably hit like 15 threes on the men's team. So it'd be interesting. <laughs> Paige would definitely shatter someone's ankles on the men's team. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably why they and, don't do it. Someone would actually. Yeah. <laughs> and Gamble would go nuts and it would get 200 million views on every social media platform. Yeah. Which is a reason to do it, to be fair. But yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited for next year's first night when Ayanna Patterson's going to be here and she's going to be in the dunk contest. Yes. Because she can dunk like no women's player I've ever seen before. Agreed. That's going to be very fun. Though I still get to see probably Olivia and Aubrey, I'm guessing, in the dunk contest this year, so that'll be fun, too. Right. I remember writing an article before Liv's freshman year being like, will Liv be the first player ever to dunk for UConn women's basketball? And I don't even think there's been a situation where she might have had the chance to. Yeah. (laughs) Aubrey, there's definitely been some. uh, Aubrey gets a lot of fast break breakaways, but every time I've ever seen her dunk, she's been like, very on the edge of getting it over the rim so I don't think she's ever wanted to try in person yeah that's fair I feel like she should still try in person in like one of those games against you know like Providence or something where they're up by 35 points and she gets a fast break (laughs) oh absolutely I mean they should just get to a point in those games and then just exclusively start trying to set up situations where Aubrey Griffin can dunk it like just have her stand at the midcourt line defend with four players get a steal and just launch it down the court (laughs) that would be a way to keep those games interesting yeah exactly (laughs) I feel like Ayanna's probably going to be the first one to actually dunk though because she is just like she gets her head above the rim which is insane yeah, some of those three-on-three like warm-up clips and stuff are pretty insane. So I'm excited for that too. Yeah, well, I didn't. Am I misremembering the first dunk clip where she did like a 360? Mm-hmm. There's one that wasn't with USA Basketball during the three-on-three tournament. It was okay. just some other random thing. It might have been. I probably just missed it. But yeah, I'm definitely not going to be able to find it though. <laughs> Man, they're going to have. Assuming no one leaves. Yeah. 
next year's team is going to be ridiculously athletic. Aubrey, Mir, Ayanna Patterson. Imagine those three on the court at the same time. That would be <laughs> nuts. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun few years. I'm excited. Time to book for uh, Minnesota. Actually, yeah, that's like on my list of things to do. It's just like book hotels because you can always get them refunded anyway. <laughs> right. I've been meaning to start looking. Just check out what's around. Yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Page Packers is not winning a national championship in our hometown. Oh, yeah. I think they're winning it. But even if they don't win it, like they're going. Like there's, I would oh, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Put like money on the fact that UConn and South Carolina and Stanford are going to be at that final four. My only concern is like they get, I don't even know if I want to throw this out into the universe, <laughs> but uh, just players being unavailable for large portions of the year, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that's my only, like, that's the only thing that I think would keep them from getting to the final four, which is my only hesitation with like getting something right now. Yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping that, like, because Connecticut's numbers are so low and everyone's vaccinated, that like we're not going to see that too much from it. Oh no, this is a this is an injury thing, not a COVID. Oh, thing. okay. <laughs> I was thinking from the other perspective. Yeah, I mean that is also a possibility, but yeah, I. Yeah, I feel like it would have to be like multiple players. That. And like the right, not the yeah. right ones, but like certain Walk players. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it would, it would have to. I mean, if that happens, then that that would be like a once in a lifetime disaster that yeah. you, no one can plan for. So I think you just bank on that not happening. <laughs> exactly. I think that'll do it. Yeah. How many days do we have until the season? This is gonna do that as the closing, but it's. <laughs> It's a month from tomorrow. 31 days. Wow. We're getting close. Mm-hmm. First night, Friday, Big East Media Day on Tuesday. Uh, after that, in some undetermined time frame, a secret scrimmage. Fort Hayes State on the 7th, Arkansas on the 17th. We're getting there. We're getting there. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Subscribe if you want the best women's basketball coverage in the world, as named by me. Um, I'm the source for that. I think it's great. I'm not biased or anything. Um, Read the UConn blog. Got some interesting stories going out there this week. I know I just stole your uh, clothes, Megan, but anything else? Happy one month to the season. I still, I feel like we can say it again. One month countdown. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. That'll do it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>